A note to the listeners, episode 33 contains some explicit language and mature content. Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. The song Wild One or Real Wild Child was written by Johnny O'Keefe, Johnny Greenan, and Dave Owens. The version referenced within the story was performed by Iggy Pop. Wild Ones. It was like a movie when the bike gang sang into town. Weeks after the gang left, folks were still eyeballing sprinkler heads, street lamps, and mailbox flags, expecting to find the blinking lights of hidden cameras. None were ever reported found. Ooh, yeah, I'm a wild one, shoved into the Jessup's one-level three-bedroom home and carried Jimmy Jessup out to the sidewalk. When his mother, Penny, noticed the music, opened door, and absent Jimmy, she walked and then rushed, too pregnant to really run, to Jimmy's eyes and wrapped a hand across them. With the other, she covered her own. When she felt Jimmy's fingers peek prying apart her own, she raised her other hand to eyebrow level. So visored, she beheld a street filled with men astride leisurely motorbikes, which, like the men's boots, gleamed with care between road dirt and insect splats. What kept Penny's hands at attention was the bare distance between those boots and the leather jackets that bore no patches, no chains, no studs, no names. Penny recalled her grandfather's nearly hairless legs. Sixty years of pants worn it off, he'd say. Bob, Penny's husband, had light brown down on his upper ass cheeks. She thought she couldn't that moment recall his leg hair, his legs. His entire person was steam lifting into the sun from her hard, polished chrome finish. How many pantsless years did it take to grow hair in whips, whorls, nests, nuzzles thick and soft enough to cushion one against seat heat sweat, motor murmur, breeze and bugs and tug? Oh God, one hand fell from Jimmy's eyes, the other from her face to her chest, an emotion recognizable to every teacher who has watched very young students get ready to scream the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm a real wild one, and I like a wild phone in a world gone crazy. Everything seems hazy. Ooh, yeah, Penny whispered. And Jimmy grinned, having himself a ball, couldn't wait to tell his friends, oh, he was going to tell them all about. And they were moving wild, swinging, not quite, baby, past them. And the breath in Penny broke loose, her grip on her blouse's neckline, not real, real cool. Not like the casual embrace that the men had on their bikes and themselves. Oh, what a fool, Penny. You're not a real... Mom! Jimmy yelled, the bikers having slowly, and how slowly can a motorcycle move, rolled away. You saw that, right? Child, your child just saw, wieners, Jimmy yelled, and wriggled around Penny in a prepubescent eggy strut that Penny must have been carrying on a recessive gene. They were all holding their wieners. Jimmy, unable to contain the novelty of the moment, flung himself on the lawn that his father spent Sundays hand-trimming because the mower blades would no longer keep a sharp enough edge and rolled around howling, Ooh, yeah! Ooh, ooh, yeah! His heels and shoulders soaring reverse wings against the ground. Singing, Penny said, noticing the thrust of her hips, the smack of her tongue in her mouth. A kid from three houses north of theirs cartwheeled into the street, and Penny saw his mother sitting in the gutter holding her hair off her neck and fanning herself. Sarah, the Tipson's 17-year-old daughter, was out on the roof in front of her bedroom window, legs dropped over the edge. Her white socks were in the flower bed below. The baby flailed inside Penny, who'd forgotten it was there. She hadn't wanted to know the sex, but Bob was ready for a pink bundle to princess. 
That's a good dance, she told Jimmy, who was now stained grass green. No shouting that out, Penny thought. She closed her eyes and saw her internal son reaching for his own tiny microphone. He was, after all, still a fetal semicircle with spine space and a grasping reflex. Maybe we've been using them wrong all along, she thought. Maybe they were never meant as anything other than microphones. A world of sound beings, women pregnant with noise and melody and rhythm, birthing chart toppers and some songs which, like some people, weren't even that good but had something. Jimmy skipped in, I'm starving, I'm starving, I'm starving, is lunch ready? How could it be? I've been out here, same as you. Penny instead said nothing, swung back to the house and toward the slightly scalded but still edible tomato soup. Through grilling cheese sandwiches, dishes, Jimmy's bath, Bob coming home, another meal, teeth and toilet and tucking in and polite request to Bob to stop touching her swollen everything. Feet with his, Penny pictured the one man who had not been driving a motorcycle. Rather, he'd been seated backwards, back pressed to the driver's, arms wound through the driver's belt or some kind of harness. The passenger held high with both hands what Penny would have called a boombox, but suspected might now go by a different name. Anyone with hands could do that job. Welcome to No Extra Words, the flash fiction podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dirsch, and I'm your producer and editor. A crazy amount of stuff is going on on the show right now, jam-packed in this episode and just overall with the show. We have a new audio set up today, so I would love to know if you notice a difference in the sound quality, for the good or for bad, and let me know what you think. Three stories today, all recorded in very different ways and very different styles by their authors. You just heard Mary Alice Long's Wild Ones, and you are going to hear more about Mary Alice Long because she was the first of our Contributor Appreciation Month prize winners. So I'm in the process as I record this of getting in touch with those winners, setting up some audio interviews with them so that you can learn more about them and about their work. Look forward to that. You'll be seeing that in the next couple of weeks and months. Coming up next, John Muter brings you his story, Roommates, and then we are going to close this episode with a storytelling first here on the No Extra Words podcast. Adam Kluger went above and beyond. We do not expect this of our contributors, but Adam Kluger went above and beyond and actually recorded his story, did some audio production on it, and sent us sort of an audio story postcard live from the streets of New York City where his story takes place. So that is how we are going to close this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. It's been super fun to put together. Watch our website for announcements and other things coming up, but there's so much going on today. I'm getting you right to our final stories, and I will see you next week on No Extra Words. John Muter. These oranges are small, announced Jeremy from the kitchen. What? Les oranges, elles sont petites. Having just completed his second semester of French at the local community college, Jeremy relished every opportunity to flaunt his linguistic skills. I got it, replied Marion, not looking up from her reading. And just how am I supposed to make an awesome screwdriver? 
So squeeze, too. It's not rocket science, is it? Offered Marion, still immersed in her novel. Your sarcasm is not helping the situation. Pas du tout. When he had finished pressing all the juice out of the second orange, Jeremy pushed the remains into the disposal and turned it on. He let the water run an extra minute to make sure the system was cleared and to enjoy the efficient churn of the disposal after it had devoured the peels. There was something oddly satisfying about that. Marion had made herself quite comfortable at the dining room table, sitting on one chair with her feet upon another. She was wearing her flannel bathrobe and Jeremy's thick green cotton socks. They were hideous, but warm. She twitched her toes, something she did whenever she was content. Jeremy added a generous shot of vodka to the orange juice. He came over and sat in the empty chair next to Marion. What you reading? he asked, leaning in closer, his shaggy auburn locks flopping over his forehead. He was in dire need of a haircut. Jeremy was eager to get to the last and best part of the evening. Also, he hated it when Marion paid attention to anything other than himself for too long. Marion knew just how to handle the intrusion. Patience was for her a practiced virtue. She looked up, marking her place on the page with a finger. Jim, dearest, she cooed, please let me finish this. I promise you will dance when I'm done. With that, she flashed the most bewitching smile and thrust her face forward. It was Jeremy's cue to kiss her, which he did dutifully. He's such a puppy dog, thought Marion. I should really have a leash for him and feed him out of a bowl. Jeremy picked up his drink, already half-finished, and headed down the hall. All he needed to hear were the magic words, no more pestering necessary. Marion admired the broad shoulders and firm, rounded derriere of the receding Jeremy. She reminded herself that there was a good reason she kept him around, and it certainly wasn't for stimulating conversation. Reaching the bedroom, he quickly took off all his clothes and dropped them one by one onto a pile on the floor. He relished the sensation of his naked body sliding between the cool sheets and anticipation of pleasures to come. Folding his arms behind his head, he stared at the ceiling, thinking of nothing in particular. It didn't take long before he felt bored. He picked up his smartphone and began checking his Facebook page. Marion read to the end of a chapter. After a languid yawn, she put the book down. It was time to turn in. She performed her nightly ablutions, which took a while, and gently opened the bedroom door. There was her lover boy, fast asleep, his phone still in his hand, his mouth hanging open. She could perceive the gentle rhythm of his regular breathing, exhalations that she knew would turn into a healthy snore as the night wore on. She considered waking him, but carefully closed the door and headed back to the dining room instead. Making herself comfortable in the same chair, putting her feet up, and smoothing her robe, she began the next chapter in the novel. She read, utterly absorbed, until well after midnight.
kind of town. Written and audio produced by Adam Kluger. Narrated by Eric Payson. Mom always said that she didn't want me to end up driving a bus. I can hear her now. Don't let him drive a bus. She was obsessed with it, you know. Archive came from the old country, and ultimately we made our way to the top of the food chain. You can spot my brothers on any street by the way we strut and stick together, eyes darting but cocksure. We walk in packs, and when the heat pops up, we scatter. Signs all over the city that say New York this and New York that, but we literally stay above all that bullshit. Our crew's too busy, holding high-level meetings on the top floors of big buildings, in alleyways or in the park benches to be cooped up on a hamster wheel. We hang near the museums, go to Yankee stadiums. We're munching on a hot dog. We're free to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. Anyone tries to tell us what to do, we get in their face, shit on their head. Trust me. Nobody ever fucks with us again in the city. They call it New York City, but it really should be called Pigeonopolis. Oh yeah, so now you get it, you stupid hairy ape freak. I'm a pigeon. That's right, a weirdo. Me and my friends have our own language, and we run this town. We dine al fresco seven days a week, and we have a standing invitation all over town. Yeah, yeah, I read that new agey 70s tripe about the self-actualizing seagull. It was a bunch of bullshit. That seagull was on a death wish. It was a whole bunch of post-death ghost goals and jumping through time and space. And for a pragmatic pigeon like myself, it was a bunch of bullshit. Let's get real. Cockroaches? Gross, right? Rats? Even more gross, right? That leaves me. The lovable gray, black striped pigeon. I'm the dominant denizen of this little floating garden of Eden. Face it, we rock. Totally rock. You know, all us birds, we used to be dinosaurs. That's the way older than the pilgrims, bitches, anyway. Listen, pal, it was nice chatting with you. And thanks a lot for the free grub and all. Breadcrumbs are my favorite, but I'm going to have to get back to dive-bombing taxi cabs, terrorizing tourists, and giving other pathetic people a reason to live. And you're welcome, by the way. And yes, if you were wondering, of course we know that taking a big dump on statues is gross. But I, like I said before, we run the whole town. We always do. We're pigeons. By the way, you got some spittle on your ugly monkey mug. Mommy, why is that old man talking with a pigeon over there? Oh, that's cute. They're probably just friends, sweetheart. Come now, let's get home. It's getting late. Thanks for listening to the No Extra Words podcast. For more information on today's stories and contributors, or to learn how to submit your own work, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. The best support you can give the show is to recommend us to your family and friends. See you next time.